Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. Let's get into our stories. What's happening on Thursday? We're about to find out. Morning. Hello. Hello, technical technical difficulties. What's happening? Technical difficulties. <laughs> Wi-Fi was down when I went to bed. Oh, okay. And that was only a few hours ago. Let's see what we got. Show me what you've got. All right, looks like I got signal. So maybe the maybe the uh, equipment will be reset or something. <laughs> Not as easy as I thought. Not as easy as I thought. Maybe we start this way. The computer is alive. All right. Oh, no, no camera yet. Now we're at camera. Now we're camera. Now we're there. There we go. Like so? Yeah, because yesterday it was a little too low, and then you were getting you were getting blocked by the nameplate. I was? Yeah. <laughs> Your show, man. Because <laughs> of oddities. We're going to oddities right now. I hope that's not in there. <laughs> Whoa! Okay, here's an oddity. We'll do a Thursday oddity report instead of somebody kicking the bucket. Alright, apparently it's not working as fast as I could. Ready? I guess we're ready. Okay. I guess we're ready. Let's go. Today on Before Coffee. United Nations official and others in Armenia attacked by NSO group spyware. Super Typhoon Mawar hits Guam. WHO members vote to move Moscow office and urge Russia to stop attacks on hospitals. We do a tribute to the world's greatest football player. Belarusian Nobel Peace Prize winner moved to brutal prison. And in news oddities... Chirping sounds lead airport officials to a bag filled with smuggled parrot eggs. Today, on Thursday's Weird News Day, May 25th, 2023 edition of Four Coffee. Okie dokie. Let's go our news about attacks on Armenia. Researchers have documented the first known case of NSO's group spyware being used in a military conflict after they discovered that journalists, human rights advocates, a United States nation, United Nations official, and members of civil society in Armenia were hacked by a government using the spyware. The hacking campaign, which targeted at least a dozen victims from October 2020 December 2022, that's two years worth of stuff, appears closely linked to events in the long-running military conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan over the contested Nagorno-Karabakh region, which I think we talked about before, where they had a little skirmish there on the border between two different groups. Previous investigations into spyware abuses by NSO's group's clients have already been established, with substantial evidence, according to researchers, that Azerbaijan is a government client of NSO group. The news is significant because the use of Pegasus, a military-grade spyware that can hack into and remotely control any phone, has, con- has never been documented inside a military conflict. NSO's group has said the spyware is sold to government clients and law enforcement officials for the strict purposes of fighting serious crime and terrorism. The company did not immediately respond to the request for comment. That's a problem with when you sell something that can be used for other things. You can't control that they don't use it for the other thing, right? You're just giving them the tool and saying, don't kill anybody with this, and say, but you can kill somebody with this. That's what you're telling me. The investigation was conducted by researchers at Access Now, CyberHub AM, the Citizens Lab at the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto, Amnesty International Security Lab, and Ruben Muradian, an independent mobile security researcher. 
The hacking of the Armenian-based individual was first discovered in November 2021, two months after a series of clashes along the Armenian-Azerbaijan border, claimed at least 200 lives in the most serious escalation of violence since the 2020 Nagorno-Karabakh War. Apple began sending notifications to mobile phone users who they believed had been targeted with state-sponsored spyware. Anna Nagadalyan, a former Armenian foreign ministry spokesperson, was hacked at least 27 times between October 2020 and July 2021, at a time when she was still serving as spokesperson for the ministry. Researchers said the time of the attack put her squarely in the most sensitive conversations and negotiations related to the Nagorno-Karabakh crisis, including the ceasefire mediation attempts by France, Russia, and the U.S. and officials' visit to Moscow in Karabakh. Access Now said that five of the 12 hacked individuals have elected to remain anonymous, but that they include a UN representative who does not have the UN's consent to come forward. Access Now and its partners said they believe the hacking was done by a customer of NSO Group, though the data could not be conclusively be linked to a specific client. They added that, given the individual's work on the conflict, it is possible that Armenia's government may have had been interested in hacking the individuals, but said there is no other evidence to suggest that Armenia has ever been a Pegasus user. Indeed, the country is believed to have been a user of different spyware products named Predator, created by Cytrox, a business rival of NSO. Other evidence points to Azerbaijan as an NSO customer, including findings by the Sisson Lab that some Pegasus one-click infections linked to infrastructure that masqueraded as Azerbaijani political websites. Amnesty Tech Research has also identified Azerbaijan-linked domains that, that point to Azerbaijan as a likely Pegasus customer. The, embassy, the, em, the embassies of Armenia and Azerbaijan did not immediately respond to a request for comment. NSO has said it investigates credible reports of its power being abused by government clients. NSO Group was placed on a blacklist by the Biden administration in 2021, after the Com Commerce Department said it found the company had supplied its technology to foreign governments that use it to maliciously target government officials, journalists, business people, activists, and embassy workers. And I believe it's also on a- I thought it was also on a blacklist for the EU, because they also don't- oh no, the- the- drama with the EU is that the EU is exporting software that goes against EU. Yeah, Pegasus. Yeah, that's what this Pegasus was, was, was like, also wasn't they also involved? Yeah. In the by the Mexican military to spy on uh, a couple of people in the government. Yeah, you talked about that. Yes. I think on Monday or Tuesday. But that's the end of my story. Uh, Pegasus is from? still causing problems out there, and I guess it's like a virus, and we can't do anything about it except for go. Hey, you use that thing that's bad. Yep. Who, who wrote the story? What, what who who wrote stories? the story? The story was sponsored by the... It's not written by anyone specific. It just says it's sponsored by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That's his website this came from? No, this is from The Guardian. But it, oh, The Guardian. Yeah, I said this. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. The, the byline has to belong to somebody. You can't use it as your own story. Anyway. Mo all of my stories are from The Guardian. Oh, I specifically I say it's from Dutch News, which is the yeah. NOS. I definitely know you can get in trouble for not using their byline. Anyway, Super Typhoon Mawar hits Guam with 140 mile power winds. Residents emergency major mess. Guam residents left their homes and shelters Thursday. This is from the USA Today. Guam residents left their homes and shelters Thursday to assess the damages from Super Typhoon Maiwar, which cut power in most of the island and thrashed around debris overnight with 140 mile an hour winds. More than two feet of rain fell in the central northern parts of the island, which is not a big place. When Maiwar's eye wall passed, according to Brandon Adelette, a meteorologist of the National Weather Service, we are waking up to a rather disturbing scene out there across Guam. We're looking out the door to what used to be a jungle looks like toothpicks. It looks like a scene from the movie Twister with trees just thrashed apart. Landon Ayet told his twin his twin brother and fellow weather service meteorologist told Associated Press. Guam is US is a US territory. It 
in the Pacific, home to about 170,000 Americans, about 6,000 miles west of Los Angeles, if, if you're keeping track. The slow-moving storm, the strongest, the strongest hit Graham, Guam or Graham, <laughs> the strongest hit Guam in decades, appeared to have crossed the Rota Channel area close to Anderson Air Force Base on Wednesday night. The Weather Service said in a Facebook Live broadcast, it apparently damaged or disconnected winds, wind speed indicators after they measured winds of about 104 miles per hour. The worst of the storm hit the island Wednesday afternoon, severing power to most residents and businesses and continuing the strong winds into the night. Authorities warned the residents to remain indoors as tornado strength winds continued and flash flooding was predicted. Satellite radar showed the storm's winds at 140 miles per hour. And this is an extraordinary, extremely dangerous and life-threatening situation, the Weather Service said in the broadcast. Forecasters had worried about the storm, that the storm would hit shore directly over the island, but it appeared to have made a gradual shift northward as it approached. The island is about 30 miles long and 12 miles at its widest point. The storm was crawling around 6 miles per hour early Thursday, a slow-moving typhoon compared with others that have moved up to 15 miles an hour. The Weather Service said it was centered around 45 miles northwest of Guam and 65 miles southwest of Rota, an island in northern Mariana Island off the north, just north of Guam. The Weather Service has said the storm is expected to intensify through Friday. Maiwar was the 5th. 15th typhoon of at least category 4 intensity to pass within 70 miles of Guam since World War II, according to weather.com. Residents, the storm's heavy winds shook the island. Most of Guam received about a foot of rain during the storm. According to the videos posted, what are we doing here, man? Guam, the Guam. Power Authority reported that most of the island lost power shortly after 1 p.m. local time Wednesday and only 1,000 of its 52,000 customers still had power. Before the storm arrived, President Joe Biden approved an emergency declaration. Guam Governor Lou Leon Guerrero said on social media that the declaration will support mobilization of resources into Guam, which is essentially crucial given our distance from the continental United States. The U.S. military sent ships as the storm approached. Guam is a crucial hub for the U.S. forces in the Pacific. And the Department of Defense controls about a third of the island. All ships were moved out of the sea, as a out to sea as a standard precaution, according to the U.S. Navy. And any personnel remaining on the island were sheltering in place. About 6,800 U.S. service members are assigned to Guam, according to the Pentagon. The U.S. Navy also. Re re ordered the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier strike group to assist with recovery efforts, according to U.S. official. Authorities have urged residents to seek shelter in sturdy buildings, designated emergency shelters, and to bring weeks worth of food and water, an indication of how long they believe it would take to restore resources to some areas. Your story. It's a good thing that America's there, otherwise no one would care. I guess. Yeah, it's one of them islands we fought over in World War II. Yeah, then it's a storm coming years after that, the first one, huh? Well, it's there's the last been 15, yeah. 15 come within, come within uh, 70 miles since World War II. 15 typhoons. A typhoon, do you want a difference between a typhoon and a, a hurricane? Direction it turns of the opposite. wind? Yeah, it turns the opposite direction. <laughs> I, I knew it because I had learned about it in my weather class. Anyways. It goes that way and then this way or whatever. Your turn. Who members vote to move Moscow offices and urge Russia to stop attacks in hospitals? Yeah, I think that's a Geneva Convention, but I guess we can't really do anything about that. So they just continue shooting down, ho shooting at hospitals. Member states of the World Health Organization voted on Wednesday to move a Moscow-based office of the WHO to Copenhagen and urged Russia to stop attacks on hospitals and healthcare facilities in Ukraine. At the 76th World Health Assembly in Geneva, how convenient, they went to Geneva for this. Uh -huh. 
Uh, 80 member states voted to request the WHO Secretariat to relocate the European Office for the Prevention of Control of Non-Communicable Diseases to Denmark before the new year. Alongside Russia, eight member states voted against the draft decision, including North Korea, China, and Belarus. Wow, the people on Russia's side, huh? 52 Uh, states uh. abstained. Draft decision to relocate the Russian base office was adopted on the 23rd of May by the Regional Committee for Europe, made up of 53 states from the WHO Europe region, after a vote earlier in the month. Far from politicizing the situation, the draft decision focuses specifically on lingering health impacts of the war, said Ukraine's delegate, addressing the assembly before Wednesday's vote. Full-scale aggression launched by Russia against Ukraine has triggered one of the largest health and humanitarian crises, he said. More than 1,256 health facilities have been damaged and 177 are reduced to rubble, leaving about 237 health workers and patients dead or injured. Russia's participation in the WHO, which is a UN agency, has been controversial since it invaded Ukraine in February 2022. In April, Russia took the rotating monthly presidency of the UN Secretary Council. Security Council. Ukraine's permanent re- representative to the UN described the situation as absurd. A petition to remove Russia from the UN, drafted by Civic Hub, a group of Ukrainian and foreign lawyers and diplomats, has gained more than 300,000 signatures online and the guarded support of Ukrainian MPs such as Alona Scrum, Dimitro Nataluka, and Lesia Vasilenko. Ukraine reported, reportedly sought last year to have a Russian suspended from the WHO executive board, but dropped efforts due to legal difficulties. Moving a WHO, a WHO office from Moscow can be seen as a small but important victory for Ukraine and its allies. Russia submitted a separate draft resolution co-sponsored by Syria and Nicaragua and Belarus on the health emergency in and around Ukraine. The resolution strongly condemned the use of, use of civilians as live shields and expressed strong concerns about the decision to close Moscow-based WHO office. The text did not assign responsibility for any of the attacks described in the document. Wait, why is it getting attacked again? Russia? Oh, I don't think that was us. It was somebody else. Yeah, uh, it was the aliens. The aliens are attacking Ukraine. The Russian... Yeah, Russia's always at, always at the scene of the crime. But they're just yeah. a witness, right? Yeah. yeah. I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> what a cruel world. <laughs> the Russian resolution was rejected by 60 votes, 13, with 61 abstinations. Ukraine's delegate described Russia's proposed resolution as a desperate attempt to put the aggressor on par with the victim and avoid responsibility for the tax on the health systems in Ukraine. Earlier in May, Denmark announced that 12 countries will, be, will pay, together pay the 5.6 million or 4.5 million pounds a year that Russia contributed to running the office. Maxim Barishinkov, one of the authors of the Civic Hub petition, welcomed the decision to move the Moscow WHO office as a step in the right direction. An international organization that Russia is part of becomes a tool in its hand, his, in its hand he says. We cut, need to cut his hand off. So, no WHO disease control for Russia. Just take all of the cool things they have away from them until they stop attacking random countries for stupid reasons other than ego. Uh, I know I really simplified the Ukrainian conflict there, but I can. That's my prerogative. (laughs) I I think that's pretty accurate. I think it's all about Putin's ego, and that's all it is. If he wasn't there, they wouldn't be doing this shit. Yeah. Anyways, that's the end of the story. He's a strong man. You heard about the... Uh, we, had, we have to cover the one Russian that mysteriously died. Russian official mysteriously, mysteriously died in an airplane. Oh. That, we can cover that tomorrow. But I forgot about that. There was another uh, Russian government official who just died in an airplane. He was only 46. And uh, news we missed over the weekend because we don't do a weekend show. Jim Brown, one of the greatest professional and college football players of all time has died. He was 87. His wife Monique announced Brown's death in an Instagram post Friday afternoon said Brown passed peacefully Thursday night at their home in Los Angeles. The world, to the world he was an activist, actor, and football star. The post stated, to our family, he was a loving and wonderful husband, brother, and grandfather. Our hearts are broken. 
In 2020, Brown was selected to the NFL 100 all-time team and was also ranked as the number one all-time player on the college football 150-year list to celebrate those sports anniversaries. So he's number one basically in NFL too, but they're 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 different criteria. Stupid. They probably had Jerry Rice number one, which is dumb. Okay. They changed the rules for receivers, so that only made Jerry Rice's stats look more impressive. But Jim Brown quit in the prime of his career to be an actor. Oh. Because he could make more money. That worked out. He could, I make, guess. he could make more money without getting killed. Brown, who was selected in the first round of the 1957 draft, played nine seasons for the Cleveland Browns, 1957 and 1965, and led the league in rushing eight of those nine years. He was rushed for 12,312 yards and averaged 5.2 yards per carry over his career. 5.2 yards per carry is like number two all time, considering as many times as he carried the ball is pretty impressive. He led the Browns to the league championship game three times, winning the title in 1964, and was named MVP three times. He ran for at least 100 yards in 58 of his 118 regular season games, never missing a game. He rushed for more than 1,000 yards in seven seasons, including 1,527 yards in one 12-game season and 1,863 in a 14-game season. Rounds also worked to empower black community during the civil rights movement. In June 1967, Brown organized the Cleveland Summit, a meeting of the nation's top black athletes, including Bill Russell and Lou Alcindor, who later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to support boxer Muhammad Ali's fight against serving in Vietnam. In later years, Brown worked to curb gang violence in New York and Los Angeles. And in 1988, founded a Mary. A Mayor I Can, a program to help disadvantaged inner-city youth and ex-convicts. Brown also advocated for modern athletes to be more involved in the black community. The statement NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell called Brown a gifted athlete who became a forerunner and role model for athletes being involved in social in initiatives outside their sports. It is impossible to describe the profound love and gratitude we feel for having the opportunity to be a small piece of Jim's incredible life and legacy. The Browns, the Cleveland Browns, said in a statement, we mourn his passing, but celebrate the indelible light he brought to the world. Our hearts are with Jim's family, loved ones, and all those who he impacted along the way. What they're saying, LeBron James. We lost a hero today. Rest in peace, rest in paradise to legend Jim Brown. I hope every black athlete takes the time to educate themselves <clears throat> about this incredible man and what he did what what he did to change all of our lives. We all started <clears throat> I can't I can't read for some reason. We all stand on your shoulders. Jim Brown, if you grew up in Northeast Ohio and were black, Jim Brown was God. As a kid who loved football, I really just thought of him as a great the greatest Cleveland Brown never played. Then I started my own journey as a professional athlete and realized that he, what he did socially was his true greatness. When I choose to speak out, I always think about Jim Brown. I can only speak it because Jim broke down those walls for me. From Barack Obama. I was too young to remember Jim Brown's playing days, but I knew his legacy. One of the greatest football players ever. He was also an actor and an activist, speaking out on civil rights and pushing other black athletes to do the same. My thoughts are with Jim's wife, Monique, his children, and everyone who admired him. That's my best Barack Obama. He would go, ah. Uh, he said that then. Uh, and pushing black athletes. Good old sign. That's my Brock. <laughs> Emmett Smith. My heart aches in very, very moment after hearing the passing of Jim Brown. He was a huge, true legend of sports and community, using his platform to help others. Thanks, King. Barry Sanders. You can't underestimate the impact of Jim Brown, head of the NFL. He'll be greatly missed. Additionally, his generosity and friendship with my family is a gift that we always treasure. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Brown family and Browns at fans at this time. When Tony Dorsett, this isn't a man who played running back in the NFL. Who didn't see Jim Brown. There isn't a man who played running back in the NFL, didn't see Jim Brown as an iconic legend on and off the field. Rest easy, my brother. Brown retired at 30 at the top of his career. He was filming the movie The Dirty Dozen during the movie offseason in 1966, and production went long because of bad weather. Brown's owner, Art Modell, threatened to suspend Brown's pay if he didn't report to training camp on time. Brown had opted to retire and said he wanted to focus on his movie career and socialism. In other words, 
I'm making more money sitting in my trailer than I am playing football. So I'm going to be an actor and a social activist. Yeah. That pays better than get my ass kicked. And he was never injured in nine years. Considering how many times he got hit, he was never injured, which is amazing. Since his retirement, no Browns players has worn 32, and a statue of him went up outside First Energy Stadium in 2016. It's a great moment, Brown said, when a statue was unveiled because I feel it throughout my body, particularly in my heart and my mind. Current Browns owner Jimmy and D. Haslam called Brown a true icon for the NFL. He was certainly the greatest ever to put on a Browns uniform and arguably one of the greatest history. Jim was one of the reasons Brown has such tremendous fan base today. So many people grew up watching him just dominate every time he stepped onto the football field, but his countless accolades on the field only tell a small part of his story. Brown lettered in four sports, football, lacrosse, basketball, and track during his college career at Syracuse. He was also considered one of the greatest lacrosse players of the time, one scoring five goals in one half in a college. So the best college football player, the best pro football player, and the best lacrosse player, too. At, at Syracuse, Brown also served as the place kicker during one game against Colgate in 1956, scoring an NCAA single-game record with 43 points on six touchdowns and seven extra points. That same season, he led the nation in rushing touchdowns. In 1955, he left the nation in kickoff return average. Elroy arrested for 2,091 yards and scored 26 TDs for the arms. And that's about it for the story. I'm just playing okay, tribute well, to Jim Brown. A bit too career. long, but... Yeah, well, he had a short career, but a long impact. Okay. A long, Nine years you, you is not a long... Threw it pretty it's long, long for a running back. What? I guess he didn't throw it pretty long. He caught it pretty long. No, he was a running back. He just, they handed him the ball and he ran He ran, he ran long. And when you caught him, you didn't want to catch him because he was big. Okay. In, you know, Russia doing more stuff. I mean, it's not technically Russia, it's Belarus, but it's probably Russia mm -hmm. because as we know, Belarus is just a puppet state at this point. The Nobel Peace Prize yeah. laureate, Ales Biela, Ski has been transferred to a notoriously brutal prison in Belarus has not been heard from in a month, his wife has said. Oh, Natalie Pinchuk said that Bielatsky, who is serving a 10-year sentence, has been kept in an information blackout since his transfer to the, nine, the N9 colony for repeat offenders in the city of Gorky, where inmates are beaten and subjected to hard labor. The authorities create unbearable conditions for Aless and keep him in strict informational isolation. There's not a single letter from him for a month, nor does he receive my letters, Pinchuk said on Wednesday. In March, a court convicted the 60-year-old Bielatsky, Belarus's top human rights advocate and one of the winners of the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize, and three of his colleagues on charges of financing actions violating public order and smuggling. It was the latest move in a crackdown on dissent in the country since 2020. Yelansky has spent 20 months behind bars since his arrest in 2021, and Pinchuk is concerned his health is deteriorating. In the most recent letters, I see how his penmanship has changed, and I see how the situation is worsening for him, both in terms of his health and his eyesight. And I'm very, very worried about it, she said. She urged the UN to intervene. Harsh punishment of Bielatsky and three of his colleagues was a response to the massive protests over a 2022 election that gave the authoritarian president Alexander Lukashenko a further term in office. Lukashenko, a longtime ally of the Russian president Vladimir Putin, who backed Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has ruled the country with an iron fist since 1994. During the protests in 2020, the largest ever in Belarus, more than 35,000 people were arrested and thousands were beaten by police. All four activists have maintained their innocence, according to the Human Rights Center Vyasana, which was founded by Bielatsky. He shared the 2022 Peace Prize with Memorial, a prominent Russian human rights group, and the Ukrainian Center for Civil Liberties. Vyasani has counted 1,516 political prisoners in Belarus to date. Human rights advocates say the authorities deliberately create unbearable conditions for many of them. 28 days, there has been no information about the fate of the imprisoned former presidential 
Opal Picar Barbaraka, who was reportedly beaten up in a cell and transferred to a hospital. No one has heard from Nikolai Stotkevich, a prominent opposition figure serving a 14-year sentence for 100 days. Yeah, so they're just imprisoning political uh, opposition and just beating everyone up. And it's totally fine, and no one can do anything about it. So, great. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Doing a Putin there. Yeah, we live in a society or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Just waiting for the day where Russia declares that Belarus was never stopped being part of Russia. And that guy is like, oh, wait, wait, you're my friend. You can't invade. Too bad. <laughs> We're bigger than you. Thanks for your support. I mean, that's their future if they let Ukraine fall. The Belarus will just be the same thing, right? Yeah. Why would they be any different? Just because Putin's on their side now or whatever, they're on Putin's side because they don't want Putin to invade them. They ain't going to stop them. All right, then. On the lighter side of the news, we're going to talk about parrots. Opportunity to talk about Monty Python again, maybe. Yeah. Chirping sounds led lead airport officials to bag filled with smuggled parrot eggs. This is from Loxahatchee, Florida, the byline for Associated Press. The 24 bright green baby parrots began chirping and bobbing their heads a second anywhere near the large, near the large cages that have been their homes in March. The Central American natives seized from a smuggler in Miami International after being raised by the Rare Species Conservatory Foundation the round-the-clock effort that includes five hand feedings a day in a room filled with with large cages. At just nine weeks old, these parrots have already survived a harrowing journey from being snatched from their nest in the forest. They're almost fully feathered now, and the staff has started transitioning them from a special formula diet of food pellets and fruit. You really have to meet their children, asked Paul Rayo. Riello, a Florida International University professor and director of foundation, as he led visitors Friday into a small building tucked behind a sprawling house in Loxahatchee, a rural, rural community near West Palm Beach. They are hand-raised babies. They've never seen their mom and dad. They've been raised by us since they've hatched, he said. It was the hatchlings' faint chirping inside a carry-on bag at the Miami airport that brought them to the attention of U.S. and Customs and Border Protection officer. The passenger... Zhu Tawu had just arrived on Taka Airlines, flight 392 from Managua, Nicaragua, on March 23rd and was changing flights to Miami to return home to Taiwan, according to the criminal complaint filed in U.S. District Court in Miami. So he was smuggling birds from Nicaragua to Taiwan, basically. Officers stopped Wu at the checkpoint. He was asked about the sound coming from his bag which Riello later described as a sophisticated temperature-controlled cooler. Wu reached in and pulled out a small bag and showed the officer an egg, the complaint said. The officer just looked at it and saw the egg saw inside and saw more eggs and a tiny featherless bird that had just hatched. <laughs> when he told the officer there were 29 eggs and that he did not have documentation to transport the birds, according to the complaint. Wu was arrested on May 5, pleaded guilty to the charges of smuggling birds into the United States. He faces up to 20 years of prison when he is sentenced on August 1st. A lawyer who could speak on his behalf was not listed on the court records, but told Wu that investigators, through, Nick, through a Mandarin interpreter, that a friend had paid him to travel from Taiwan to Nicaragua to pick, Nicaragua to pick up the eggs. He denied knowing that what kind of eggs they were. He could have just said, they're pining for the fjords. And that would have solved it. The officer, <laughs> that's my Monty Python joke. The officer took the bag and contacted the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. By then, eight of the birds had already hatched and were in process of hatching. It didn't take long for federal officials to reach out to Riello. They didn't know what these things were and wanted the advice on it, Riello yeah. said. Baby parrots are featherless, so it's difficult properly identify them. What is that beast? What is brilliant, that? Brilliant plumage. It's a Norwegian blue with brilliant plumage. The next day, <laughs> Dr. Stacy McFarland, U.S. Navy veterinarian, initially attended to the birds and eggs at the airport, and other officials delivered the baby parrots and remaining eggs to Riello's conservatory. At that point, we were off to the races, and we got all these eggs. 
chicks were hatching, the incubators running, and by the time it was all said and done, we hatched 26 of the 29 eggs, and 24 of the 26 chicks survived. USD egg regulations required the birds to be quarantined for 45 days, meaning that Riello and his team had to scrub down when entering and leaving. Still weren't sure which of the 360 varieties of parrots they were dealing with. The forensics of Team of Florida National International extracted DNA samples from the eggshells and deceased birds to identify the species. They discovered the 24 surviving parrots were or nine clutches and included two species, the yellow-naped Amazon and the red-lured Amazon. Both birds are popular in the trafficking and caged bird industries because they're pretty and have nice temperament, Riello said. The trafficking pipeline of Central America is well established and has gone on for years. In fact, the biggest threat to parrots generally is a combination of habitat loss and trafficking. Riello said, adding that about 90% of eggs are poached for illegal parrot trade. BirdLife International lists the yellow-naped Amazon are critically endangered of the population of wild of being between 1,000 and 2,500. The Red Lord Amazon is also listed as having a decreasing population. The vast majority of these trafficking cases, and in tragedy, the fact that the chicks were hatching, the first day of travel from Managua to Miami tells you that it is extremely unlikely that any of them would have survived actually gotten all the way to the destination in Taiwan. That would have been another 24 to 36 hour travel. Riello is now faced with the challenge of finding a permanent home for the birds which can live to 60 to 70 years or longer. He said he is working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service plan to have the birds fly free and help restore their species in the wild. The parrots live a long time. They're sentient creatures. They're highly intelligent, very social, and these guys deserve a chance. Yeah. The question will be where will they line up? Was their journey going to be or just the beginning? So we have we only... Parrots. We love parrots. We're not making fun of these poor birds. People are stupid for making them birds, making them pets and sticking them in cages and teaching them five words. Yeah. I mean, You're if you sorry. can train hawks to come back, you can train a parrot to come back. <laughs> you can train a crow to talk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In culture news, of course, let's talk about the death of Ina Turner. Who died in Switzerland, I think, what was it, yesterday? It was yesterday. Yes, yes. Yesterday. I, instead of me talking specifically about her death, I'm going to be talking about the reactions to her death all over the world. The music world, Hollywood and the White House, mourn Tina Turner, Beyonce, Oprah Winfrey, and Oprah Winfrey, Barack Obama, Mick Jagger, Elton John. Reactions are pouring in on the death of Tina Turner, who passed away in Switzerland yesterday at the age of 83. The ripe age of 83. Music is praise and of course, but also her survivability and vitality. I'm so grateful for your inspiration and as and all the ways you've blazed the path. Beyonce writes on her website with a photo from a joint performance in 2008. Your strength and your resilience, you are the epitome of inspiration and passion. Tinka Glory Gaynor, Gaynor says. Gaynor. 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 Yeah. Turner paved the path for so many women in rock and music in black and white. Debbie Harry calls her an inspiration when I started out and still is. Colleague Diana Ross kept her responsible with shocked and sad and condolences to her family. Mick Jagger calls her inspiring, warm, funny, and generous in addition to being a talented artist. He helped me so much when I was young, he says of the women who taught him how to dance when she performed at his opening act in 1966. Wait, so you're telling me moves like Mick Jagger were actually moves like Tina Turner this whole time? Oh, yeah. Mick was dating one of the Ikeettes, you know, oh, the dancers wow. with Ike and Tina Turner. Yeah. Elton he John was, calls her... He an... was heavily into it. Oh, okay. Elton John calls her an absolute legend, live and in the studio. One of mostly exciting and vibrant artists. Neighbors of Turner lay flowers on the gate of her villa in Kuschnacht, Switzerland. Worlds like a legendary icon, diva, and superstar are often exaggerated, but Tina Turner embodies them and all so much and more, believes Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. An incredible artist, singer, and pioneer. To me, she remains this, that survivor and an inspiration to women worldwide, she says of the singer, who managed to reinvent herself after an abusive marriage to Ike Turner. 
But she didn't change her na- her last name. I guess she didn't want to lose the branding, right? So she just mm-hmm. kept her name. The actress Angela Bassett, who reenacted the process in the biopic What's Love Got to Do With It, says in a lengthy response that Turner used her pain and suffering as a force to help change the world. Tina Turner showed others who lived in fear what a wonderful future full of love, compassion, and freedom should look like. Oprah Winfrey writes that Turner's inner strength only increased throughout her life. She calls her a rock and roll goddess who approached parts of me I didn't even know I had. Not only the music world and Hollywood reacted to the death, the White House also quickly issued an official response from President Biden. He praises her versatility as the only woman to win Grammys in the pop, rock, and R&B categories, a talent that you only see once in a generation. By overcoming adversity and even abuse, she created a unique career, life, and legacy that were all her own. He wishes strength to everyone who mourns the woman who was simply the best. Biden's predecessor, Obama, calls her raw, powerful, unstoppable, and unashamedly herself. She spoke... I like how they say Biden's predecessor. Like, no one in the world knows President Obama, the most famous U.S. president (laughs) of all time. Ah, yeah, who was before him? I forgot. Who was before Biden? Trump, was and that then idiot? who was before Trump? I can't remember. Can't, no. What did Trump say? He, he probably doesn't Nothing. even care. He doesn't yeah. even know. He's like, it's I'm in so about, much trouble. It's not about him, so he doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. He spoke and sang about her story in happiness and in pain, triumph and tragedy. He calls her a star that will never die. Niasa Alberta, who plays the role of Tina Turner in the Dutch version of Tina, calls the singer on Instagram an inspiration to many, and I am one of them. She also refers to the way she was in life. It is incredible how much one person can endure and survive it all with so much grace and love. I never expected her to be such a big part of my life and to be given the honor and confidence to share her story to tell. She has inspired me to be stronger, to fight harder, and to be braver than I ever imagined. Theater and television maker Joop van Engde, this is an article from NOS, so that's why it's so Dutch-centric. Uh, ah. said he is deeply touched. After collaborating with Tina Turner for the musical about her life, he always kept in touch with her and says in a response to the ANP, news of her passing is a huge blow to us. We will forever cherish the memories of her caring class. The collaboration was close close during the making of the musical, says Van Den Ende. We noticed that it was hard for her because she had to relive everything again. The abject poverty, the abuse, the racism. But something changed along the way. Tina started to realize that the musical would carry her musical legacy into the future, and it was her farewell as an artist and as a world star. Other Dutch artists have reacted sadly. Eisel de Long writes that Tina was a force and an inspiration to many. Singer and mega fan Samantha Steinweik also deeply touched. I'm heartbroken, so unreal. Singer Birgit Lewis, phone was red hot last night. I took some her it I, it took her some time to process the news. Tina has meant a lot to me since I was a young teenager in the 80s. That beautiful smile, those long legs, that big hair, and I don't care attitude. Miss Tuna is not replaceable. She was unique. Tina is and will always be my source of inspiration. For the Dutch Ellie Denemon, Tina Turner was her greatest role model. She has been a fan for over 40 years and founded the International Tina Turner Fan Club in the 1990s. Wow. I had no idea. Run by a Dutch person of all people. I am quite shocked, she said emotionally to the NOS Radio 1 journal. I knew that she was ill, but that she would die? I had not expected that yet. I thought it would roll on for a few more years. Then Amon became a fan in the period when Tina Turner was still performing with Ike. When I first saw her on her TV, that was a kind of bombshell. The way she stood there, a black woman, and she gave me a lot of swaying hair and power, and I was captured by her movements and her performance. After many concert visits, the fan club was founded, which started with a Dutch-language fan club magazine. At a certain point, we became a well-known, so well-known that the fan club became international and received applications from no matter which country. After 10 years, the magazine stopped and the fan club switched to Facebook, where since yesterday, thousands of messages about Tina Turner's death have expressed sympathy. So, rest in peace, Tina Turner. Uh, she's, honestly, she's a... A role model, not because of her career, but because she got rid of her American citizenship and became a national in <laughs> Switzerland. Something I'm not Switzerland. I don't want to become a Swiss national, but something yeah. I'd like to do. I want to be as rich as her someday, so I can just. Was she my... doing? Was she was she doing it for political reasons, or she just fell in love with Switzerland? Uh, I I I don't know. I've only seen like 
rumors about it on Twitter, but it sounds like she just wanted to live her best life, and for her, that oh, yeah, she's always with the love of her life, right? She said yeah. the person she was living with, which I don't have the name of right now, was basically yeah. her one true love of of life. So yeah, she was never she didn't a big have star. A terrible end. She had a great. End. She was a big star, but she never acted like one. Yeah, and uh, remember she was on David Letterman one time, and David Letterman used to have these this part of his show where he would introduce these weird new inventions and one was called a it was a can opener for tuna cans only and it was called a tuna turner and his <laughs> guest that night and his guest that night was tina turner <laughs> well tina <laughs> here's a can of tuna here's the tuna turner now open it up <laughs> here's tina turner <laughs> opening up a can of tuna with the tuna turner <laughs> anyway pretty funny in 1935, this day in history, American track and field standout Jesse Owens uh, set three world records and equaled one at one Ann Arbor, Michigan track meet. I wonder if the wind was with them that day, huh? They used to not. They used to count records without the wind, you know, they yeah. didn't f- factor in. Because you do run faster the wind at your back, believe it or not. In 1810, having several severed ties with Spain, the visceral government the vice the vice regal government the municipal council of buenos aires established an autonomous government so this is uh buenos aires which is argentina became a country i guess yes 1878 american entertainer bill bojangles robinson was born in richmond virginia he's known for making restaurants are named after uh, they might be named after that song by Tom T. Hall, Mr. Bojangles, oh. which was named after Bill. That song was named after Bill Robinson, who was in a lot of movies with Shirley Temple. Okay. In 1989, aircraft designer, I should say child star, Shirley Temple. People don't know this. <laughs> in 1989, aircraft designer Igor Sikorsky was born in Kiev, Ukraine, in the Russian Empire. In 1889, so happy birthday to the helicopter. In, 19, in 1895, the trial of acclaimed Irish writer Oscar Wilde ended with him being found guilty of committing acts of gross indecency with wow. certain male persons. It was sentenced to two years of hard labor, being gay. That was 1935. Huh? Yeah, instead of being, now you're now he's going to be a, a gay bear, and everyone's going to like him Wilde? even more. Because now Oscar he's all Wilde's, jacked up. Oscar Wilde's one of your more legendary gay smartasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a great writer. In 1935, American track and field standout Jesse Owens. We already did that, right? Uh, this thing scrolls on its own sometimes. 1935, six, Abdullah I, ruler of Transjordan, Pro. Franz Jordan proclaimed himself king. In 1961, in a speech before Congress, U.S. President John F. Kennedy committed the United States to land on the moon by the end of the decade. This goal was achieved by Apollo 11 in 1969, unless you're one of the people that thinks they faked it. In 1969, Midnight Cowboy was released in theaters. Midnight Cowboy, the drama which starred John Voight and Dustin Hoppin, went on to become the only X-rated film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. He got an X-rated because he was a male prostitute. 1977, George Lucas, space opera film Star Wars was released. So happy birthday to George Lucas, milk and money for millions. The anniversary of that. 2011, the last episode of the Oprah Winfrey Show aired. The long-running TV program should help make Winfrey one of the richest and most influential women in the United States. Well, it must have done more than that, right? Inform somebody, maybe? Had a nice book club? In 2020, George Floyd, unarmed African-American man, was killed during an arrest in Minneapolis, Minnesota, setting off massive protests around the country and generating greater support for Black Lives Matter. Police officer Dirk Chauvin was later convicted of murder. Enjoy your time in the lockup, old Derek. <laughs> 1787, U.S. Constitutional Convention opened in Philadelphia. You know, you didn't have to lean on his neck. You could have just said, hey, let's just arrest him. That's our job, not killing people. There, Derek Chauvin. Hey, how about that, huh? 
Mr. I'm so professional. Anyway, sorry, that's a disturbing film. U.S. Constitution Convention opened in 1787 on this date. In Philadelphia, where 58 state delegates initially charged with amending the Articles of Confederation and later drafted the Constitution of the United States, which we're trying to live up to. British actor Ian McKellen was born on this day in 1939. Ian McKellen, famous for... Wow, Gandalf. There you go. Brian Urlacher was born on this day, American football player in 1978. 1938, Raymond Carver, American author, was born. 1927, another American author, author, writer, Robert Ludlum was born. In 1887, Padre Pio, Italian priest and saint, was born. And that's what happened in history on this day. And what day is it? Let's hope the list isn't too terribly long. It is medium. National Missing Children's Day. Well, that's depressing. National Missing Children's Day. It's also Towel Day. And in the picture it says don't panic, so it has something to do with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So it's Towel Day if you're a fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. For some reason, May 25th is Towel Day. Don't forget your towels, everyone. International Plastic Free Free Day. So Plastic Free Day. I I don't think it means you're getting plastic for free. It just means... Try not to use plastic. Good luck with that one. National Brown Baggot Day, which is every day for a lot of people. National Tap it, Tap Dance Day, so tap dance with your towel. National or do you Wine mean Day. Tap dancing around topics. <laughs> there you go. Don't directly confront anything for all you passive aggressive people out there. National Wine Day. Not the kind where you wine. The I need drink. So get drunk, get your towel, and go tap dance. World Thyroid Day. It's Geek Pride Day. I almost said Greek Pride. No, but it is Geek Pride Day. So if you are a geek, be happy that you just eat gobs and gobs of guts and fish fish heads and whatever. That's what geeks are. <laughs> yeah. Geeks are just people that just eat anything. Okay. The, the geek, geeks and freaks. That's the yeah. sideshow. Yep. That's today, National Geek Day. If it wasn't National Geek Day, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Okay. Well, that's been Allison here from Europe talking about the passing of Tina Turner. People getting put in prison for having opinions and more exciting news like that, honestly. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> tomorrow on Friday to conclude some of our news from maybe the beginning of the week or not. We'll see what happens tomorrow on Friday. And yep, and this is Roger talking about various subjects including dead parrots that are bleeding demised on the May 25th 2023 edition of For Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.